0: Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so we live in an age right now that is extremely polarized. And I read the most fascinating article this morning that someone shared with me about when the polarization began. They said the real polarization in this country began at Waco. This was a moment where everyone started to take sides and how religion found its way into the mix. Now, I watched a, I think it was a mini series on Waco. And at the same time, I think a documentary came out about uh, David Koresh, uh, his ties to the Seventh-day Adventist church, why he had broken away but how he had began to reach out to Seventh-day Adventists and lure them into theology that really didn't have the foundation that it needed to from Scripture. So he begins to uh, do all these things and then the government does all these things. I'm not gonna go into the whole story, but basically Waco was described in this article as a turning point. And I thought that was pretty interesting, but we've definitely seen it ramp up in recent years of, you know, let's just talk about the controversy of Thanksgiving dinner, like Justin. I mean, I'm voting for Bernie Sanders and you're voting for Rand Paul, who's not running. And I can't believe that. And we can't be brothers anymore. You're not allowed in my house anymore. Anybody had any controversial dinners? Come on, somebody raise your hand, make, make sure. All right. So this is becoming more and more polarizing. Just believing something differently than somebody I otherwise would say I love and respect. But you go in even to a greater extent and you start to see a divide happening between those of faith and maybe we would describe those as secular or without faith. But the question is, how is it that faith has almost become a bad word? And what is faith? And we're gonna talk about that this morning. Do you have a friend that said, hey, I wanna meet you for lunch we're going to meet at this restaurant, and you actually believe they will be there on time, or let's just say they'll be there. Maybe maybe they won't be there exactly on time. But you know they're going to show up. Anybody have a friend? You plan lunch, they're going to be there, you're going to be there. Okay, that that requires some faith to know that they're going to be there. And it's often built on, there's something in the past that, that has been between us where if I say, hey, Zane, we're gonna be at this place at this time, Zane says, yep, I'll be there. College, you say, yep, I'll be there. Then we'll be there because I don't wanna let you down. So we all have an element of faith, whether we have any religion or spirituality in our life at all. If we have enough faith to meet somebody for lunch and trust they're gonna show up, we have faith. The Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 12 and verse three, if you wanna turn there with me. Romans chapter 12 and verse three, It answers a question, if you've ever felt like, I just don't have any faith. Or why doesn't my kid or brother or family or sister, why don't they have any faith? And the answer here in Romans chapter 12 and verse three says this, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Then it says this, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So we have proof here, everyone has been given some bit of faith. So never feel like you have to conjure up your own faith. God has given you a little bit just to get you started on the journey. But what is faith? You know, people look at, uh, at someone who... Maybe the husband and wife go to church. Maybe the kids go to church and they say, wow, that is a family of faith. I even heard they give money to their church. Is that what being a person of faith is about? I heard some no's. So so what would it be? Is it praying before meals? Well, he's clearly, Nick, he's a person of faith because he prays before he eats. We read the definition a minute ago. I want to dwell on it again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. We're gonna go there a number of times today so you can keep your finger there if you wanna join me there. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse one tells us a biblical definition of faith. And it says this, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the thing. The evidence, it is also the evidence of things not seen. What is it, though? From a book uh, with the title Fundamentals of Education, listen to this thought of faith. Faith is not sight. Faith is not feeling. And then the clincher. Faith is not reality. So then I started to think, okay, if faith is not reality, if it's this substance of the imaginary, then is it imaginary? I have at the top of my sermon here, the title being Faith is Imaginary. Is it a fantasy? This idea of putting your trust and belief in something that is not tangibly there. I, I can't explain it, but, but just me saying, no, I have faith in this, that's enough substance that something's gonna happen. Well, I looked up the definition of imaginary because I thought, oh, that's a way you could really poke the saints to say faith is imaginary. So here's the definition, imaginary. Existing only in imagination. And it drives me crazy when words use their word to define themselves. It's like, what in the world? It says lacking factual reality. I thought, okay, we're getting somewhere. But then I had to look up the definition of imagination. And it says, the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. And I thought, I can no longer be upset with any friend that doesn't want anything to do with faith or religion if they say all that stuff is fantasy and imaginary. Because I thought, you know what? I guess based on the definition, faith is imaginary. Now stay with me. Here's another idea. Feeling and faith are as distinct from each other as the East is from the West. Faith is not dependent on feeling. Or another one from the Review and Herald, 1893, old magazine. Faith is not an opiate. It is a stimulant. So it doesn't put you to sleep, it wakes you up. Through faith, we receive the grace of God. But faith is... <laughs> is not our savior. Think about that. It earns nothing. It is the hand by which we laid hold on Christ, the remedy for sin. Here's another one. Faith is not mere intellectual assent to the truth. So faith is not, I believe these 28 things. Faith is not, I believe this book. That's not faith. It's not just believing something. It is not enough to believe about Christ. We must believe in him. So if if something is just a theory, and we were talking about this in the youth Sabbath school, if things are just ideas and ways we, well, we just, that's what we believe, right? We believe that. It could just be a theory. It hasn't come into practical life. We have to believe in Jesus, knowing him, not about it. And the last one, faith is not only to look forward to things unseen, it is to be confirmed by looking at past experiences and tangible results, which have been the verification of God's word. Faith elevates and ennobles the powers of the soul, enabling it to lay hold upon the unseen. So so faith isn't just something that has no substance. There's reasons you put your trust and belief in something or someone. There are reasons for it. I like to think of, there's something happening in the world today. Uh, I think it's another great awakening. For whatever reason, people are starting to question things and be open to things that a decade or so ago, they would have never considered. But for whatever reason, maybe it's they've been lied to by their government for decades on end and they finally realize, I can't even trust them. Whatever, whatever country that may be that I'm talking about. Uh, Hebrews 11, let's go back there. Hebrews 11. This is a, a chapter that describes faith. Often it's called the faith chapter. And so we just said something crazy that faith and imaginary and imagination, by definition, you could argue, well, yeah, I guess. I guess they're all built on the same thing. I don't have anything tangible to show you. It's just something in here that I believe. And I have reasons for why I believe it. Let's start off, Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. And 11 verse three, by faith, we understand the worlds were formed By the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Okay, so there's some radical ideas and that's really a core of faith to a Bible-believing person. I believe the origin of the earth was spoken into existence out of nothing. Like that's a wild concept. So so there we get some of the reason in getting into this chapter. Let's jump down a few. Let's look at the first person. Verse seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah, we're told, built this craft, this boat, this ark for a hundred. We're told he was worn for 120 years. We actually don't know he was building for that long. We're told he was preaching during that time, telling people this is the thing that is gonna happen in the world. And likely Noah had friends that did not believe everything like him. Hopefully we have some friends like that. If we have only friends that agree with us, you should be concerned about your life because it's just an echo chamber. And, and the algorithms and the feeds online are built for echo chambers. If you go online and you think, wow, everyone agrees with me. We're in this thing together. That's how people are totally deceived. Find people that disagree with you. Cordially, take them to lunch. Now you and I are voting for somebody totally different in the election. Let's talk about that. Let's really get down into the weeds. You and I have different religions, Yeah, we and I disagree on this issue. Let's talk through this. Noah likely had people in his life that disagreed with him. Noah, you know, it's never rained. Like, we don't even know that word you're using, rain. What are you talking about here? Storm, like what, what is happening? Faith though says this. Noah could have lunch with his friends and say, you know, Richard, you're right. It's never rained. I sound crazy, don't I? Yeah, I've never seen it rain either. And I know that the scientific community says it's actually impossible to rain. And despite all that, I believe it's going to rain. Now, Noah has acknowledged the reality, the cultural relevance. Yeah, okay, it doesn't rain, I get it. But I think it's going to rain. Okay, well, at least you acknowledge that everybody disagrees with you. Great, let's go to the next person. Abraham, verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You can imagine his family saying, Abraham, where are you going? Him saying, I actually don't know. What do you mean? How do you plan a trip and you don't know where you're going? That's a really good question. I look crazy, don't I? Yeah, you look crazy. People don't plan trips and they just go to the airport and say, I'll catch this flight and I'm going somewhere and I don't know where I'm going. Abraham, you are crazy. Yeah, it probably looks like that. I can see why you think that. But um, God has told me to go somewhere and I'm going and I don't know where I'm going. I don't even know where it ends up. So I appreciate this discussion and I know why you see that I'm not thinking like the next person, but hey, God called me and I'm going. It's something called faith and I don't really understand it. I can't even tangibly show you anything of why I'm doing this, but that's what it is. You following me? Let's go to the next one, the spies, the 12 spies. This is the story where basically God has said, hey, I'm taking you out of Egypt. I'm taking you into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. There's so much grass, all the cows and goats can eat to their heart's content. You'll have all the milk you ever need. There's so many flowers and trees and harvests that the bees will be galore. There will be honey, the land flowing of milk and honey. And these 12 spies get into the land and they say, Oh my, either they are into some genetic engineering or the soil is so healthy here, there are giants. And did you see the size of the grapes? We should take some of those back with us. Did you see this? Did you see that city? Who are the architects on their cities? And so they all come back and everyone in the camp says, tell us about what you saw for 40 days. And 10 people quickly come to this side and say, well, I mean, the land is amazing. I mean, it's, it's hashtag worthy. But um, the people are giants. The cities are huge. I, I know this is some of the grapes we brought back. It looks good. They taste amazing. But um, we can't go into that land. Mm-mm. We're not going over there. Then you have two guys over here, Joshua and Caleb, that say, It is absolutely true what they are telling you. These people are monsters. I don't know what they're eating over there. The food is so good. The cities, we can't get into their cities. It's so true. But God told us we're taking the land. We don't have a clue how we're gonna do it. We should take the land. Civil discussion, totally on different sides of the coin. So I hope you're seeing this picture that faith, faith sometimes just doesn't make sense. And we should just admit that. I know I believe some things that don't make sense. I admit it. I can't, I can't tangibly do it. And that leads us to a story in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Turn with me there. Daniel chapter three. Daniel chapter three, here's the context. God has allowed the enemies of God's people to bring terrorism into their country and destroy the city of Jerusalem. God allowed that. And he told them, this is gonna happen. I'm bringing the greatest terrorist you've ever seen, King Nebuchadnezzar. This is a bad dude. He's gonna come. And if I could just, through his prophets, he says, if I could just tell you one thing, you should surrender yourselves to these people. And the pride of people said, no, we're not gonna do that. Finally, they're taken as slaves and God had not forgotten about his people. And so he sends a dream to Nebuchadnezzar. I just wanna remind you, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm in charge of the situation. Though you are the start of this statue, this does not end with you. Someone else is coming and they will knock you off and then someone will knock them off. And at the end of the story, I win. Know your place, Nebuchadnezzar. And he has this dream, he's terrified. He calls in everyone. He tries all the witchcraft possible, nothing works. And finally, this Hebrew boy named Daniel comes in and says, I can't tell you the dream, but God can, and here's the dream. And he tells him the dream and he tells its interpretation. And we're told that for a while, Nebuchadnezzar had humbled himself a little bit. Wow, God has placed me as the head of gold. No one's ever gonna be as great as me again. But then the temptations come in. What if I was the whole statue? What if Babylon could be an empire like with the Tower of Babel that we were attempting? This place that no one could conquer. And you imagine some people around him likely said, that is a good idea. You should be the whole statue, whole thing, all gold. And finally he says, go make that. And then someone says to him, like they say to in the story that comes again later, this is all symbolisms of an image and a beast and all these things that come in the book of Revelation. And basically they all come in Daniel 3. The whole world is brought together, the financiers, the businessmen. uh, We have the scientific realm. We have the governments. Every single person is there on the plain of Dura with this massive golden statue and they're basically told in the, verse, in the first seven verses of Daniel chapter three, here's how this works. When the music starts, you bow down and worship this statue, which represents the great king of Babylon. Okay? Well, everyone's clear, but then verse eight comes forward. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. See, everybody's there. There's a lot of people that grew up Sabbath keepers, but in this moment, they've, they've changed allegiance. Verse 9, they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree, and then they go through it. You said when the music starts, everyone's supposed to bow down and worship, right? King, you said that's what everyone should do. Yet, verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, they have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And what's not being said here is, and what are you gonna do about it? You picture thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, the who's who of everyone, all the celebrities, everyone is there. Three individuals, when everyone is kneeled down onto the ground and they're bowing down, these obstinate punks are standing there as if they don't hear the music. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury, verse 13, gave the command to bring these men To him, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? And he gives them a second chance, as if to say, maybe you didn't understand. When we play the music, you bow down. Get it? Okay. And if you don't, last half of verse 15, but if you do not worship, You will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who's the God that will deliver you from my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. And we've kept giving these examples. Being friends with people that may totally disagree with us. Acknowledging they have every right to believe that and still maybe saying, hey, but I actually believe differently. And I know this faith thing kind of sounds imaginary. I get it, but it's still real. They say to him, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I'm gonna put my own idea in here. Do you think all three had had like this instant simultaneous uh, synchronicity where they're all saying and talking at the same time? I don't think so. I think they're such good friends that they know, you know what, Brendan? You and I have had so many conversations that if we're in front of somebody and they're asking us, hey, what do you think about X? You take this one. Because he and I know, well, we, we've had this conversation. I know where Zane's at, he knows where I'm at. Zane, you answer the... So I think they have such a bond, which is a, another lesson here on the importance of having good friends, choosing your friends wisely, such a bond that one of them, I think, takes the... Hey, you, you take this one. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You just imagine Nebuchadnezzar, oh, what? He says, uh, if that is the case, verse 17, our God whom we serve, now he's, he's referring to the threat. If you don't bow down, I'm gonna throw you in this fiery furnace. He says, if that is the case of throwing us into the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Oh, when somebody responds calmly to somebody who's hot, it makes you all the more upset. But then the most wild thing in the Bible. But if not, if he doesn't deliver us, if you literally, king, if you throw us in there and we burn up, if, if that happens, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And then the only thing that could have happened when someone is not in check by the Spirit of God, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. Some versions describe it as deranged pride. And the expression on his face changed. You can imagine when somebody goes from confused to furious. And he says, heat the furnace seven times hotter. It gets so hot that he gets the most mighty strong men, verse 20 tells us, they die upon throwing the three men in there. That's how hot it was. Instantly, everyone should have said, this is awkward. The guys that were, they are dead and they've just been thrown in. They're not dead yet. And then it says in verse 21, then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, cast in the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, here it is, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says they fell down in the midst of the burning fiery furnace, verse 23. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar, this is all happening. Think about how fast this is happening. It says, then he was astonished. He's just seen this happen. I highly doubt they are thrown in, kicking and screaming. You heard their answer before. It wasn't a, please, don't do that. It was, that's fine. Do what you gotta do. I understand this is the way you work. I'm operating on a different paradigm called faith. And I totally understand why you think it's crazy I have also gone to the point of thinking it's crazy and hopefully we all do that sometimes. This is crazy, but, but I'm still gonna go with it. I acknowledge what the cultural majority says and I'm still choosing faith. They had done that. An astonished Nebuchadnezzar stands up in haste and spoke saying to his counselors, did we not just throw three men bound into the midst of that fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. It's like they're oblivious. Verse 25, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And before I read the next part, the commentary on this in an amazing book called Prophets and Kings describes it like this. Nebuchadnezzar was almost enchanted by how Daniel and his three friends carried themselves. It was so different than the culture around him that he found it unique, that he watched them deal with people. He watched when people were upset and they were not. And it says through all that, he started to understand the character and demeanor of the God they always were talking about, right? And so... He sees these four individuals and instantly, this is the fascinating part of this, he knows who the fourth one is. He doesn't even have to guess. He'd never seen Jesus before. He'd never seen this pre-incarnate Christ. But he says, and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Their demeanor, their character, how they carried themselves was so special, so unique that they knew this is who we serve. Their friends knew it. They're on a different walk. They, they do something different in this world. Then he goes near the furnace and he calls them out. There's a book, it's, uh, the name of it is Christ Object Lessons. Page 412, it says this. It is in a crisis that character is revealed. Who am I gonna pick on? I'll pick on Don, I'm going to pick on you. Don is smiling at church. His suit looks nice. But I've never seen someone take a sledgehammer to Don's car. I wonder if he's as nice if that happens. What would happen if someone broke something that you owned that was like your favorite thing? This is an heirloom. This is something I got when I went to this place and it's so special to me. You're, you're a nice person at church, but I really want to see you when that thing is broken in front of you by a little kid playing with it. So it, this is, I think there's something to this. It is in a crisis that character is revealed. The sleeping virgins, the story of the 12 virgins, will be roused from their sleep. It will be seen who's made preparation for the event. Both parties will be surprised. Talking about the sleeping and the wake virgins. But one will be prepared for the emergency and the other will be found without preparation. Then it makes an application in our day. So now, a sudden and unlooked for calamity. And I've been trying to learn more and more about the idea of a black swan event. This is something no one could have planned for, TJ. No one saw coming. But in the midst of the crisis, everyone says, we probably could have known this would have happened now that we're through it. A black swan event arguably could be a year ago. Everything's fine. And somebody's saying, is there any black swans in the future? No, not that we can say. Then a year later, someone says, yeah, a global pandemic that wipes out X percent of the population. No one saw that coming. I mean, that's crazy. Black swan events, I think the last few pages of scripture describe and so here in this verse, it's saying, or in this, this quote, it says, a sudden and look, unlooked for calamity. You could not have predicted it. You could not have foretold of it. Something that brings the soul, yours and mine, face to face with death will show whether there is any real faith in the promises of God. It's, it's in those moments. But what about, you know, we can have all this faith, but what about when things aren't going Great, and we are burned in the fire. Well, the the end of Hebrews starts to describe that. It says, there were of these people of faith mock trials where the court system was just corrupted, punishment, torture, chained. They were imprisoned. They were stoned. They lost their lives. They lived in tents and caves and deserts and mountains. Why would people do this? Why would people live so disrespected in society and when they just had to go along with the majority. that's all they had to do. Here's why. Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance. Some versions say patience, the race that is set before us. And here's the why. Here's why people endure. Here's why as they're standing there about to lose all their friends, all their money, all their lives, all their reputation, all their jobs. And they say, hey, if God doesn't deliver us from the fire, that's okay. That's okay. This, this is not my eternal home. Because they knew of this person, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Why do we do all that? Because it says, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own souls. Jesus had choices to make. He understood the odds, the, yeah, that's, that's, that does make more logical sense, but I'm going with faith. He, he went through some of those. How do we get this faith? Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In this world today, we're not gonna develop faith in things we can't prove and see without a substance that has stories where it's happened over and over and over again in history. This is the only source for that. Everything else is rationalized away. And the identifying characteristics of a people in the last pages of this story are found in the last book, chapter 14 and verse 12. And it says this, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and then the clincher and the faith of Jesus. They hold on to this, despite what everything around them may tell them is a more intelligent solution a more scientifically founded solution whatever it may be they are holding on to faith and that's our challenge in the face of the majority how do we hold on to things that if people say that's just imaginary we can say i understand why you think that but i'm still going with this way if that's your prayer pray with me now heavenly father We are grateful to be given all the evidence needed and necessary to make a decision. Every day we get to make that decision. Do we side with this idea, this this mystery of faith? Or do we side with the majority? What the evidence to our own senses describes to us. When those are in conflict, I pray that you will show us how to make the best lasting decision. Help us not to be afraid to be ridiculed not to be afraid to stand in the minority. We know that people throughout history have done that because they saw a place in paradise with their name on it. And we just pray that in this, in this time today together, you'll show us how to live that experience of faith and encourage each other. Sometimes we've got to be the faith for our friends and our family when they're in these low spots. I pray that you'll show us what that looks like. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.